uh, our missions or vision statement, however you want to use that word, was from Micah 6.8, to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. Oftentimes in church circles, we, I don't believe we go into enough detail to explain, I guess, the parameters and the boundaries and the values and the goals and the things that we desire to see lived out through the life of the church. And, and people come into the life of the church, but we then wonder why they don't quite understand where we're going, what our heartbeat is. And so I wanted to take just a little bit of time just to work through some of our core values because, you know, we're not all identical, obviously, and we don't all think alike, but there's a sense in which we all need to be on the same page, going the same direction. Now, Catalyst is not the greatest church in the world. We are not unique. We are not God's answer to the model for church. We are just one church doing one style of thing that will suit a lot of people, but it won't suit others. And that's okay. We're not trying to force people into a mold. We're just trying to say, this is what God's placed on our hearts. This is what we believe is doing church the right way in our culture and staying aligned with biblical principles and being relevant to our community. And so I want to share with you some of the things that I believe are fundamental to, to our DNA, what makes Catalyst Catalyst. And hopefully that'll help you really take ownership of our church. When we went, moved to Fiji five years ago, part of the, the thing was we had to build a house. Um, we had to raise the funds. We had to build the house ourselves. And, and for me, that was monumental. I'd never even built a dog kennel before. And I was left with the responsibility of building a house. Now, you know, you can't build a house without a blueprint, without plans. The, the carpenters don't know where to put the windows. The plumbers don't know where to you know, punch holes in the floor for plumbing. And, and so there's got to be a blueprint. There's got to be vision. There's got to be a sense of what the finished product is going to be. Now, for someone who knows nothing about building, that's a really scary proposition. I knew nothing. And yet I gleaned stuff from people and, and God gave me the courage. So that was the start of it. Now, when you talk about building a house, I mean we built this house by hand. We couldn't get very much power to the site, so every time we tried to start the compressor to run the nail gun, it would disintegrate. It just didn't have enough voltage. So that, this whole house was built with hammer and nail, literally. Okay, I'm pretty proud of this because I've never built anything, okay? That's the house that Mark built. It was a beautiful house. Part of the journey is that I shed blood, tears, <laughs> a lot of finances, and then at the end of it, God said, Mark, walk away. That was tough. But you see, building something like that's easy because visually you can see what it's going to look like. You can get plans out. But building a church, it's not bricks and mortar. It's people and lives. It's really hard to, to define and communicate and articulate what it's going to look like, but I think we need to because it will help people understand what we want to see. So that's our founding vision statement, to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. So our, our core values emerge from that. They're built upon that foundation. And we use that little catch cry, a revolution of love, because really that's what this country of ours needs, a revolution of God's love through God's people demonstrating these things. So when we 
define our values, really what we're doing is we're cultivating an ethos. And an ethos is the unspoken things that just happen in the life of a church. No one has to sort of say why and how important it is because everyone just knows they're the things that we do. And, and it helps people catch a vision, helps them clarify and understand the structure, who we are, what we do. And it creates a healthy DNA. What we're really doing is laying foundations. And we're not talking about building a church for the next year. We're talking about a church that in 10 years' time will be looking back at all the lives that have been transformed and the next 10 years. And a lot of churches start off with good foundations and then somewhere along the journey, they lose it and people start to leave and they get disgruntled. And I remember when we used to. That's why core values are so important because they keep us on track. The things that we value shape our decision-making and the way our operators mandate, the way that we do things. Our values are so important as a church. So what I want you to do today is when I share a value of this church, I want you to find a scripture verse that backs it up. Okay? So I didn't put my ones in. I want you to find them. That's the test. Here we go. See how many biblical scholars we've got. Okay, the first thing that's most important in the life of this church is that it's a relational framework. Okay, firstly with God, a vertical relationship with God is our priority. As we enter into intimacy with God and we hear his voice and we're obedient to what he wants, then we transfer that out horizontally. So today we've been doing both, worshipping God. God, how do we minister to people? How do we bless them? So it's, it's all of us coming together in a relational framework and touching the heart of God and then asking God, God, how do I be a catalyst to bless people in their life? So everything we believe is enveloped by relationship. Our prevailing commitment here is people, not programs. I'm not into programs. A program never saved anybody. It was a person. It was people. Now, the program's a great vehicle, there's nothing wrong with programs, but they're not a substitute for having community and having relationship and meeting people and entering into a deep sense of knowing one another. So Jesus' measure of success was a demonstration of our love for one another. He said, do you want to know if you're really my disciples? This is how you know. Okay, there's a bit of a clue to a good verse. Okay, so we're driven by values that build, bind and enhance a Christ-like community. And you have my absolute blessing any time that we don't do that to call us on it because that's our core value. We want to replicate the essential values embedded in the early church in a modern context. And that's a difficult thing to do. But what did the early Acts church do? They met around God's word. They prayed. They communed together. They spent time together. They had an expectation of God meeting them and doing things. They're all the sorts of things we want to we want to engender in what we do as a church body. And so to do that, we're drawing a line in the sand and we're saying we're going to have to operate counterculturally because our culture is too busy for God. It's too busy for community. We put big walls up around our houses. We go to work. We come home. We don't engage with anybody. And what we're trying to do as a church is saying we want to tear all that down and enter into intimacy with one another and get to know each other, not just at a surface level on Sunday. If that's all church is, 
then there's other people that can do that far better than me. It's not my passion just to meet you on a Sunday and that's it. I believe we've got to, we've got to fight for the things that will make our community healthy and godly and Christ-like. So my way of describing that is that Catalyst is an organism. It's not an organisation. Okay, It's living, it's active, it's alive, it's filled with people that have needs and have vision and desire and we need to bring that all together and feed it so that it grows into a healthy church. We're just a little baby. We need to feed the baby the right things to make it grow up into an adult. So a relational framework. Anybody got a Bible verse? Why are I? Yeah, go, Kathy. Now, let's face it, we don't all do relationship real well. Okay, and part of the church environment is encouraging people to relearn relationship and to get through the hurdles of, of abuse or just, you know, maybe you grew up in a family where relationships were just hard. And so it's hard to love, it's hard to express love, it's hard to, to even be loved. I know when Cheryl got saved and I first started going to their home group, these people used to hug me. I used to hate it. Like I couldn't stand the fact that they loved me so much. It was, it was irritating to me and yet it was the one thing that wore me down because it was natural to them, whereas it had been not natural to me. So a community of love, a relational framework is really important. And that goes hand in hand with this being a redemptive community. Okay? What I mean by that is that when people come into an environment where they find acceptance, where they find belonging, where people meet them where they're at, the synergy of that relationship will transform people's lives because everybody's looking for that in some way, shape or form. And when they find godly people who are authentic and real and don't wear masks, and meet those people where they're at, they'll let their guard down and God will minister to them. They'll find a safe place to belong to. Okay? So who we might have been in the past doesn't dictate who we will be or have become. Okay? We're just going to give people a fresh start. It's a redemptive community trying to draw people into a transformed life. So grace should be overwhelming. And if people have failed before, it doesn't matter. We're going to give people a second chance. What a redemptive community also means is that we encourage people to take responsibility for where they're at in their journey. Okay, It's not just being permissive and saying, well, okay, you're abusive, therefore we'll just love you where you're abusive. We're actually bringing people into out of darkness into light and giving them an environment where they can deal with those issues and move on. So part of being in that community is not that we anymore shift blame. We take responsibility for where we're at in our journey with God and we ask God to change us and in this environment we allow that to happen. We grow to maturity. We intentionally seek to grow and let God touch us and transform us. So yes, we meet people in, re in a redemptive community but there's also accountability. We just don't let people run amok. 
We say it's great that you want to meet with God, but you've got to grow. You've got to change. The moment we stop changing, we go stale. So we want a redemptive community. And we recognize that we're all works in progress. None of us can stand up here this morning and say, well, look, look, let me give you a lecture on the perfect life, the perfect husband, the perfect family. We're all on a journey. But part of what we do is in the bump and grind of life, we learn from one another. We call each other on things that aren't godly. And we have a relationship where we can do that. Where someone can say, hey, Mark, I heard you say that the other day. You know, that wasn't very affirming. It wasn't very encouraging. Yeah, you're right. Thanks. Thanks for calling that. But if we don't have relational framework, you can't speak those things. People will get offended and leave. So we've got to dig below the surface. Yeah, we make allowances for people's faults, but on a journey of change. Those two are coupled together. So we've got to choose to see the best in people, not the worst. If we go down that road of judgment and analysing, criticising people, boy, oh, that's not a church I want to belong to. <laughs> Thanks very much. We want to speak life over people and blessing and encouragement over people. And in the nitty-gritty of relationships, we tolerate, we forgive, we love, we believe the best for people and we meet them at that place. A redemptive community. Anybody got a Bible verse? Verse. First sermon in Catalyst. Anyone else? A redemptive community. It's got to be a place where people can come and encounter God, find healing, meet authentic people, and grow in God. Compassionate concern is another one that's a core value of Catalyst Church. One of the things that amazes me when you read the Gospels is, is the compassion of Jesus upon volumes and volumes of people in all sorts of circumstances, lepers and prostitutes. And, and I know for me, I, I'm, I get so judgmental when I meet people and I, and I see the outside cover. And it just amazes me how, how, how Jesus was able to look beyond that and see the heart of people. And that's the challenge for us, is to be a church where compassion sort of bleeds out of us. A true disciple of Christ is compelled 
the love of Christ to us compels us to give that back to others. You know, I, I don't know how we can be indifferent and say that we're really disciples of Christ because compassion goes hand in hand with knowing who Jesus is, what he did for us and what he expects of us. We've got to be a compassionate community. Now, I know some people feel that much deeper than other people. It's just the way God's wired us up. But if we're not moved by the lost, if we're not moved by the needs in our community, if we're not if, if that sort of washes over us without having some effect, then I don't know that we're in tune with God's heart. We need to be a church that's not afraid to cry and to feel the pain and the hurt of our community and, and know that in the midst of that pain that God is a solution. Compassion is so important for us. It's the challenge of loving people when they least expect it and least deserve it. Be compassionate on people. You know, when we can give comfort, when we can bring hope, when there's encouragement, you know, when we can be a catalyst to bring emotional and physical and psychological healing, that's the dynamic of a vibrant church. When we're ministering to people's needs through compassionate hearts for one another, a refuge for the broken and the beaten. You know, Catalyst is not a club for people that have got it all together. Never want it to be that sense of slick, you know. We're just broken people searching for God. But God's touched us and now we can give back. Anybody got a verse for that? Compassionate concern. Thanks, Tabitha. You know, core values aren't the most stimulating Bible sermons, but they're the groundwork and the acid test of our church. A generous paradigm is trying to breed a culture where generosity just flows without there having to be, you know, pressures on people for that to happen. It just happens. Have you met generous Christians? They're inspiring. They really are, and it's and when you see their attitude to being generous, if you're not, it really calls you out. But if being around generous people, it's just when it rubs off, it's a beautiful thing. Now, when I first became a Christian, I wasn't a generous person. Okay, money to me was my god in a lot of ways, and learning to break that down and get to a point where those things don't dictate your life anymore is a journey for many people. But I want to encourage this church to be generous, extravagantly generous, because that paradigm just enables God to do so much, you know, so much. What do I mean by a generous paradigm? In our culture, our culture is all materialistic, and the Bible talks about the spirit of mammon. It's actually greed and money ruling our lives and it becoming a god or a ruler in our life. But I believe the church needs to have a totally different attitude towards money and resources and generosity. It's not just dollars and cents. It's a heart that's generous with our time, with our servanthood, with all that we do. God wants us to be incredibly generous, you know. One of the things that, that someone once said to me was, Mark, if you're not willing to tithe to a church, like to give your first fruits to God, then you're never going to give your life. 
Like if you can't give up 10% of your wage to give to God first as an act of worship, then God's not ever going to ask you to lay your life down because you've demonstrated already that you can't be blessing, you can't be releasing, you can't be entering into those little things. So God's not going to bless you with the big things. It's a true principle that we need to have a really loose hold on what God's given us. Now you all know the Old Testament principle is that God says give 10%, right? What's the New Testament principle? Give it all away, <laughs> you know? Give it all away. Be radical with our resources. And one of the things you hate as a pastor is trying to, what's the word? Grind that into people because it doesn't work, okay? It's got to come from a heart. The scriptures say, give generously. And if you're not going to give generously, then don't give. Don't give. You know, God's no man's debtor. But we need to cultivate that sense of being a generous people because it's, it's not in our culture. It really is not an Australian thing to be really generous. And we need to, like I said, we need to fight for the things that are important in shaping this church culture. So I don't want it to be about pressure or, or hyping people up or manipulating people. It's got to come from a generous spirit in response to what God has done for us. And it sets a great precedence. You know, I want to see our children and our youth see that modelled through the life of this church. Now, how good was it to, to stand here and say, how many rickshaws did we send to India? One, no, two, no, three, no, five. That's the sort of generous paradigm that enables us as a church to do wonderful things for God. Anyone got a verse for that? Generous paradigm? It's probably getting... Great, thanks, Daryl. Certainly can. Can I need Jeremy? <laughs> Justice, mate. <laughs> How many 15-year-olds are good for a loan, eh?
So really quickly, a servant-shaped community. My bugbear in churches is when we have a hierarchy like this with a group of elite people up the front. It's all about position. It's all about power. It's all about prestige. I don't know what God's heart does when he sees churches that have fallen into that trap. But a catalyst, I don't see myself any different than any of you, except God's given me a gift that I've got to be accountable to God for and to utilize just as you do and when we put all those gifts together and serve one another it's a beautiful paradigm it's not about who's better or who's been to bible college or those things are ridiculous things when you sit, sit back and look at them isn't it beautiful when there's a servant church and I want to say thank you that for us in starting the church I've seen so much servanthood in your lives already that I'm quite it's quite embarrassing to go and tell people about what you've done and they say, How it's, how's it going? And it's like, well, where would you like me to begin? You know, we've got all these beautiful people that have come and they're not just sitting in pews waiting to be fed, they're servants. They want to contribute. They want to give what God has given them. It's such a beautiful testimony to be a servant-shaped church. And that's what Jesus' example was to us, to esteem others better than themselves and I hope any leadership that we have in this church is not positioned, but they're postured. They're ready to serve because that's what God wants from us. People that will go the extra mile, doing things without being asked. Jeremy comes every week and he sets up the chairs. And Daryl comes and he sets up the chairs. At the end of the service, it all gets packed up. I don't have to ask anybody. That's servant-heartedness. Brad comes here at 7 o'clock every Sunday, every week, and sets up the music and does it all week in without. He never complains, never asks for any accolades. Thanks, mate. You're a champion. That's a servant heart. And if we can instill that into the culture of the church, boy, what a great place. Our culture is not servant hearted. Everyone's in it for themselves. And we need to turn that tide around. And the last one, really important. Anybody got a scripture verse for the last one? Naturally, supernatural. What excites me is to see people praying for one another, people coming when they've got needs, people when, when they've got a, a sickness or an illness or a circumstance in their life that they know God has to do something. Just the, just the natural way that can be addressed. You know, people just come in for prayer after a service without a great big altar call. Just times in our service where people come with an expectation that God is going to meet us. Naturally supernatural. Okay, it should be natural for us. 
our disposition should be an expectation and an anticipation that God is going to move. I come here every week, Lord, change our lives. Touch us, manifest your presence, show us that you are a miracle-working God. You know, when you go to Fiji, um, you've all got to come to Fiji one day because they know how to worship God just in a very casual, relaxed way. But when they sing, they sing out their theology in a really different way. And um, have you ever walked around a church? They sing this song called, He's a Miracle-Working God, or He's a Wonder He's a miracle, oh, he's a miracle working God. And, you, and the whole church is just dancing and celebrating God. They, they just have this mindset that God can do anything. And, and it's, in our culture, it's like, it's like, come on, people, we can believe this. Yet they come with a, yeah, we know that. And, and like you go to a church service and you see people here and all that stuff. And then after the service, they never talk about it. They're like, What's, didn't you just see what happened? That person got healed. They, they couldn't talk and now they're talking. And they, they don't talk about it because in their culture, they've seen it so much, it's not an issue. And they don't process stuff like us. But, but my hope for us as a church is that we just ebb and flow with God very naturally with an expectation that God will move. It doesn't have to be all hyped up. If God's in it, he'll do it. And that's what we want to breed, a culture like that, a flexible, open agenda. Okay, I've given up writing an order of service because it just never happens that way, you know. <laughs> but, but isn't that great? You know, how many people are looking at the clock? Hardly anyone. Why? Because when God is in the midst of what we're doing, then time doesn't matter anymore. You know, it's the Lord's day, not the Lord's one hour. And that's why values are so important because if we want to be this type of a church, then this type of a sacrifice has to accompany it. And that's why it's important that we communicate that because if people are going to come and say, look, I really only want church to be from 10 to 11, then you don't understand our values. And this is not the right place for you. And I'm okay with that. Because I want us to encounter God every week. And I want people to go home changed. Being able to say, wasn't church great today? We met with God. God's presence was there. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your church. Lord, I thank you that you call us the called out ones. You've called us out as your children, as your family, as a hospital, as an army, to bring change, to be a catalyst in our generation, Lord God, to bring a, a revolution of love into people's lives. And Lord, you've placed us in schools, in banks, in all sorts of circumstances in our lives, in neighbourhoods where people are so needy. They need to see the power of God moving. And Lord, I pray you would help us to be all those things you've talked about today, a community of relationship, a community that's redemptive, that sees and wants the best for people, a place where there's compassion that flows, Lord, a place where we serve the needs of one another, and Lord, a place where your presence and your power is just a natural part of all that we do. When we pray, we know that nothing is impossible for you. When we lay hands, we know that you can heal. When there's circumstances that, that in human terms can't be changed, 
we look to a God for whom nothing is impossible. So, Lord, could you teach us how to redo church, to do it your way, with your values and your heartbeat. Lord, so that we would be able to say, we met with our God today. Isn't our God good and isn't he great? Father, I thank you that you've called these people to be part of this vision. Lord, would you continue to burn it into the fabric of our being so that we can reshape the boundaries of church to be something that you're well pleased with, where your spirit is free to move, to move us, that you would be the one that leads and guides, that you would be the one that sets the agendas, that you would retrain our thinking, reshape the moulds that we've been poured into. Lord, smash them. You know, Lord, we want new wine in new wineskins. Lord, we don't want to go back to the old things. We want to be moving with you. Lord, we want to see and feel your power amongst us. So, Lord, help us individually to bring the things that will grow this church, the right attitudes, to cultivate a place where your presence dwells, where lives are changed and where you are glorified above every other thing. Lord, I thank you for everyone that comes here and calls this place home. Lord, the things that we value today, the things that we celebrate about Catalyst, don't ever let us lose them. Lord, help us to stay hemmed into you, pressed into you, and let us be your church in a unique way that brings you blessing, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Why don't you go and grab a coffee? Or anything like me, you're starting to wilt. Need some caffeine. Thanks, Owen. If anyone would like prayer for anything, please feel free to come up.